Hello friends, Doug Scheibel here. I want to welcome you once again to the Premature Bible Institute. And like I said before, I'm your free-range podcaster with Ethnos360. Just want to say thank you for listening over the many months uh, that we've been doing this. A, a little over a year ago, we started this process, starting way back in Genesis 1. And I told you that today there's going to be a big announcement, and I'm going to get to it here in just a few minutes. But I, uh, I want to start off with doing some things first. Uh, re- I want to remind you of something. Uh, right now, uh, for, uh, right now in my time, uh, when I'm doing this lesson, it's right at Christmas time, but it's going to come out about a little over a month after that, maybe a month and a half after that. But boy, you remember how it is at, when we were little kids at Christmas time and how, how we just looked forward to Christmas? Now we didn't, we weren't like that all year long, but all of a sudden, signs would come up. Now by signs, I don't mean physical signs. I mean little uh, evidences that the, the, the Christmas was, was just around the corner. Uh, one of those was Thanksgiving. We knew Thanksgiving after that, then everything was going to start gearing towards Christmas. But then you'd start seeing little things, lights on houses, Christmas trees starting to go up, uh, music would change to Christmas-type music, movies would change. You'd see movies on TV that had uh, Christmas th- uh, themes like, you know, It's a Wonderful Life or uh, whatever, All the Miracle on 34th Street. All of these things were starting to give us evidence that, he would, that, uh, that Christmas was uh, just around the corner. And we just couldn't wait. We were just ready to bust, especially as little kids. Uh, I can still remember as a little kid, I don't know if my parents knew this or not, but I actually, when I was a little kid, I actually unwrapped some of my presents, saw what it was, and wrapped them back up again. <laughs> I don't know if they saw knew that or not. If it was me uh, as a parent, I would have known. I just have my ways of knowing. So I would assume my parents were uh, smarter than I was, and they knew if I had got into them or not. But in any event, we... Uh, just really, really look forward to that. We would get so excited. Um, <clears throat> we wanted to know what was in those presents. We wanted to know what was there. And uh, But not long after Christmas, remember, we'd open up our presents, and man, we'd be tickled. Oh, I got this, I got that, or oh, I got clothing, you know, or whatever it was. But then what would happen? It wouldn't be long after that, probably just right after the first of the year, and we'd kind of forget all, all about Christmas, wouldn't we? Just kind of let it go by the wayside and not worry about it the rest of the year. So I wonder how many times throughout the Old Testament people were sitting there wondering when the Deliverer would come, when this person or whoever it was that God said would come would make their entrance uh, into the world. And uh, so they and uh, they wouldn't, uh, I wonder how long they wondered those things so that they wouldn't have to worry about it uh, anymore. And how many times did they think about it and then just forget about it and not even consider it anymore? You know? Uh, many probably thought that God was like all the other gods of the nations. You know, they would pray gods or to these gods, or they would do their incantations or their sorcery or witchcraft or whatever in order to try and make the gods submit to them. You know, to find out find things that were better for them or or to keep things from uh, harming them and so on. And so, how many times do people try and ask God for something? You know, ask their kid to survive ask their parents to survive uh, an illness or whatever, and to them it didn't seem as though God was answering. Well, you know, and how many times did they think that God was just like all the other gods? You know, impotent, didn't care about them, didn't worry about it. Well, you and I have the benefit of hindsight because we've got the Word of God. We can look back at that historical record of all that happened, and we can see God in action from behind the scenes, from His perspective. See, mankind was looking at God from their perspective, 
But we always need to find out what is it that God thinks? What is it that he thinks is important? And what is he trying to communicate to us? So uh, we had that benefit of uh, uh, hindsight. We know what happened, you know, about who the deliverer was and so on. And, you know, um, anyway, uh, and we'll talk more about that as time goes on. Now, God is faithful and no one can stop him. And so I just want to bring something up. For the last 60 lessons, uh, I've been telling you right from the beginning who God is, what he's like, what his nature and character, and how it's revealed in his actions. And throughout history, God was continually trying to get people to turn to him, bring them to him. He didn't want to punish him. I read you the scriptures in Ezekiel 33, 11, I believe, where he says, I had no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I want them to turn to me and live. That's what I want. But he wouldn't violate their choice in doing so. And so we see those evidences of that throughout Scripture, everything going on and on and on and on and on. And uh, we, God wanted to bless them, wanted to be them to be a blessing to other people, and so he raised up people to do that. Now, uh, let's go back and review a little bit uh, from the last lesson, and then we'll continue on. Now, God brought the Israelites into captivity, and according to the last lesson. Why? To bring them back to him. He wanted them to—it isn't that he wanted to punish. Nobody wants to punish their kids. Everybody wants their kids to be obedient and thinking and, and doing the right things. But we know human nature, that it is a, it, it isn't aligned with God's nature and character. It's aligned with our own, our own, which is the same one that Adam had and gave to us. So, But he did, God does it because he is a good God, a gracious God, and a kind God, and he wants to bring us to him. So in order to do that, sometimes the punishment has to be severe. Why? Because the consequences are more severe than the punishment, believe it or not. So what did God do? God brought the Assyrians and the Babylons to enslave Israel, to bring them into bondage so that they would turn to him. Remember in the book of Judges, there were those uh, judges, and they, this judge would be raised up, there'd be deliverance, there'd be peace in the land, then they would forget God, then God would have to bring them into bondage again. Then they would look, ask for God to help them, and he'd send another uh, uh, judge, uh, deliverer, if you want to put it that way at the time being. And it just cycle kept going over and over and over again. Well, here it's happening again. So he brings the Assyrians and the Babylonians to enslave Israel. And uh, and God brought some of the, the Israelites back to the land just to manage it while, the, while Israel was being enslaved. And then God allowed other nations besides the Assyrians and the Babylonians to conquer Israel also. He allowed the Medes and the Persians. Um, and there's some great, the story of Esther comes out of that particular time period. Uh, there were the Greeks, uh, there were the Romans, and all of these had, had brought Israel into subjection or brought them under their authority. Uh, in some cases, they were treated harshly. Other cases, they weren't as treated as harshly. And so uh, um, just want to talk, uh, that's kind of what it's like. So for 400 years, it's like that. They're, they're under the management of someone else. They're not allowed to manage their own land and take care of it and do what they need to do and live their lives in freedom. Uh, they had to live under a, uh, a tyranny, always a tyranny. Uh, but then <clears throat> during this time, other things came up and the Jewish people adapted. And so what they did is a, uh, a new set of uh, Jewish leaders came up. They didn't have the high priest and all of these different things that were going on because of some events that had happened. And so they had, we talked about... <clears throat> 
There were some called the Pharisees, there were some called the Sadducees, and some called the Scribes. Remember we talked about the Pharisees were the uh, legalistic Jews, uh, Jewish leaders, uh, Jewish religious uh, leaders. The Sadducees were the liberal uh, Jewish uh, religious leaders, and the scribes were the legal people, the law. They understood the words. Uh, they memorized great portions of Scripture. They tried to keep God's Word intact and pure. And so that's what we kind of had at that time. I don't mean that all their motives were good, but they they valued what the Scripture said, not necessarily what the interpretation of it meant. And so that's what it was like. And remember I said about the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, both of them wanted to control people, but from their perspective of, um, of, um, of what the Scriptures had to say. All right? So now, and during that time, there were another little thing that came up that hadn't been there before, and they were synagogues. Synagogues were like what we would call, I mean, we have churches like that where you go and hear teaching, fellowship, and stuff like that. Well, that's what the synagogues were. They were places of teaching and fellowship, and uh, they got together and they studied the Torah and so on, and um, uh, they became a teaching place for Israel. Now, most Israelites did not really listen to God. They may have gone to the synagogues, but did they really believe him? Did they really believe what God said? Well, the evidence says no, they didn't. Uh, that doesn't mean everybody, but the, some Israelites did believe God, and they were waiting for the deliverer. They were just sure he would come, but they just didn't know when. And so uh, then, <clears throat> so we're talking about now for almost 3,600 years, all of this is going on. All the failures and God's patience and kindness towards them, trying to bring them back. They rejected him and so on. And then God finally decided, okay, enough is enough. I'm just going to stop. I'm going to let people be uh, suffer the consequences of their decisions and leave them alone for a while. And But there was one prophet right at the very end of it, the last one in that particular time. He wasn't the last prophet but he was the next to the last prophet, and we're going to talk about that. Now, and his name was Malachi. Now, Malachi was the next to the last prophet in Israel before the 400 years of God's silence. So all through the Old Testament, you're seeing all this. Everything we have in what we call the Old Testament, the Bible, the Old Testament portion of the Bible, is everything up to Malachi. And then there's this 400-year period where nothing said, that's not in the Bible. It's just there's nothing said about it. It's quiet. So Malachi was the next to the last prophet before the 400 years of God's silence. Now, 3,600 years had passed, and no deliverer had come, even though God had promised that one would come. But he didn't say when it would come. He just said that the deliverer would come. All right. One of Malachi's prophecy was that the next prophet would be the greatest one of all. All right. Uh, this prophet would prepare the way for the deliverer. In other words, so <clears throat> what Malachi is, he's like Thanksgiving. And now you know that it's getting closer, but you don't know when. Of course, we know when uh, Christmas is, but just think uh, Malachi was like that one person who thought, okay, uh, it's getting closer. Something's going on. And then it just goes silent. But Malachi in chapter 3, verse 1, it says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord. So what Malachi is saying here, he's telling them the deliverer is getting ready to come. They're ready. He's ready. And uh, 
We don't know what exactly when it's going to be, but we know we're getting awfully close now. We will come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant. Now, he's the one, the covenant, what covenant? The one that he made with Abraham and Isaac and so on, that one day the deliverer would come. And so he's getting ready to come. Now, Malachi spoke, but the people were not quite ready yet for the deliverer. All right? Um, and then Malachi dies. Malachi passes away. He's the last to deliver, and it just goes silent. It goes silent for 400 years. So there would be 400 years more of subjection and slavery for Israel. Now, some waited on God to descend the deliverer, and they didn't know when it would be. And some died before he came, but some didn't wait. Some were ready for it, and even though they did die, they still knew he was coming, and it was close, you know. Maybe their children would get to see it. Maybe their grandchildren. They didn't know. So anyway, so uh, uh, this all goes on uh, for 400 years and then all of a sudden, something happens. And this is what I'm telling you about the good news, that news I wanted to tell you about. I have some really, really, really good news. Because now God is ready to send the one. Um, for four, uh, for 3,600 years, every time I teach this, every time I teach this way, it's I get the same reaction every time. I go through that Old Testament and I see failure after failure after failure and God's grace and goodness and kindness and trying to pull people back to him. And nobody wants to listen to him except for a few. And so God is going throughout history and then for 400 years he's just quiet. And then all of a sudden something happens. And I want to read it. God promised something. After 400 years of silence, something very unique happened. Let me read this. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 14. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. So you see, these were people that loved the Lord. They were waiting. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, in other words, what that means is that in the tri in their tribe and stuff like that, in the tribe of Levi, every there were divisions of people, groups of people, and they would take turns as to when they would work in the temple, bringing in burning incense, whatever the job was. His turn was to come in and to burn incense right there at the holy of holies or at the most holy place. Um. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. So there was a time when they were doing this. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. I tell you what, folks. When things like this happen, it's I get so emotional every time after all the 
hurt and sorrow and problems and everything that happened. And now God's finally coming on the scene in order to fulfill the promise that he promised way back in Genesis 3.15. Zacharias and Elizabeth believed God. They really did. They brought the proper sacrifices. They followed God's commands. They knew that they were sinners, just like everybody else. And and they knew that their only hope was to deliver whom God promised. Okay? Now, Zechariah and Elizabeth were of the tribe of Levi. Like I said before, they were childless. Zechariah took his turn at the temple uh, to burn incense, and an angel uh, appears to him and brings him a message of God. Now, Zechariah, it says, was very troubled. Why? Why was Zechariah troubled at this? All of a sudden, this angel appears, and he says he was very troubled. He was, in other words, he was scared. He didn't know what was going on. <clears throat> but I want to read something to you that probably was it, and this is something you'll see repeated over and over here in, uh, for the next few weeks. Ma- remember that last prophet, Malachi? I want to read to you the last two ver- or three verses uh, in the Scripture. Four, five, six, yeah, the last three verses, and I, w- I think we'll get an impression here. Malachi ver- chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. He says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in, uh, in Horeb for all Israel, that the statutes and judgment... Um, I'm sorry, let me start over. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Then he says this, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. So there's this, the very last thing heard from God, and that was 400 years before, was this pronouncement of blessing, but also curse. And so I'm sure this was on their mind, their thoughts. Okay, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. And they thought, oh, what's going on? And so they hear this thing, and they don't know what to think of it. You know, they're just, they're scared. Uh, no one had heard from God in 400 years. And those who believe God pr- probably remembered this very last verse in Malachi. And uh, it scared them, I think. And God was letting Zechariah and Elizabeth know that he was getting ready to send the promised one. That's what he was trying to do. So the angel came, God sent the angel to tell Zechariah, I've got something coming uh, this prophet that's going to be coming. He's going to be the last prophet and the greatest prophet of all, uh, to be honest with you. he would. Um, he's going to let you know about the promised one, the one that God promised to Eve, to Abraham, and many others. What do we call this? <laughs> this is good news. This is good news. One day, the deliverer that God promised is coming. Okay, the messenger would not be the deliverer, all right? He was not going to be the deliverer himself. He was the one who would prepare the way for who? It says, for the Lord. Okay, so that's what he was going to do. The deliverer would be the Lord himself. That's who would be coming to to deliver them, okay? Did God fulfill his promise to Zacharias and Elizabeth? Did he? Did they have a child as he said they would? Well, let's read. Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months, saying... Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. 
So yes, God did what he did for her, just as he did with uh, uh, Sarah, you know, in many years before. Uh, even though Elizabeth was too old to have children, God was able to promise a child. Why? Because he could give, uh, fulfill the promise. He could give the child, just as he did with Sarah. Nothing is too hard for the Lord, is it? God promised a son to Mary, didn't he? Oh, I'm sorry. I kind of gave it away a little bit there. God was not finished yet. He had one more visit to make. And that girl was Mary, uh, Elizabeth's cousin. and She was just a young girl. So let's read chapter 1, Luke 1, verse 26 through 31. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named, uh, or a city yeah, of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying. See, she was troubled also. She was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. She wasn't sure. Is this good news or bad news I'm getting? Okay. Consider what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. The deliverer is coming. You're going to be the mother, the one to carry this, the one promised way back in Genesis 3.15. The one promised to Abraham and to David and the whole earth. He's coming and you're going to be the vessel in which that person is going to come. Now, Mary was a virgin. She had never been engaged, or I mean, she was engaged, but she had never had sexual relations with anybody. She was a good and decent and honest lady. She did not know about Elizabeth at this point. <coughs> they had said that Elizabeth hid herself. So Elizabeth didn't want people to know about it, and Mary didn't know about it yet either. At least we, know, we don't think so. Now, imagine when, like I said, what must have been running through her mind. She was probably thinking, man, what do I do now? You know, I'm going to have a baby. What are people going to think? I'm sure she she wasn't centered, rejecting God. She's just thinking, what are the, I don't understand what's going to happen here. Well, then, a, then the angel dropped a big bomb on her. You know, not just that she was going to conceive and have a child, but he said this. And she wasn't even sure uh, of what all was going on, I don't think. And then Luke 1, 32 and 33, it says this. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So he's not just telling her that she's going to conceive as a virgin and have a son and call his name Jesus. He's going to be the Lord from heaven. And so she's telling him that this is the one that's going to be called the Son of the Highest. To be called the Son of the Highest was to be equivalent to be calling the Son of the God. Uh, the Son of God. He would be the deliverer, the one promised to Adam and Eve, Seth, Noah, uh, Abraham, David, and the entire earth. He was the one promised to come. And after four thousand years, or nearly yeah, four thousand years, God is finally fulfilling His promise to e, uh, Adam and Eve. I can't even begin to imagine what it must have been like in heaven to hear this, that the deliverers come. And God, I can't even really talk through this lesson, that he's going to finally come and take care of this issue once and for all. I don't think they probably knew how he was going to do it. I don't think anybody but 
God and the Father, uh, the Lord Jesus and the Father knew what was going to happen. Okay? Uh, Mary's child, remember back in Genesis 3, 15, says she would be, uh, he would be the seed of the woman, uh, as promised. Mary would be the last descendant in the line of the deliverer. Can you imagine? Uh, as a deliverer, you can say, I only have one direct ancestor, and that's Mary. <laughs> it's amazing. Mary, now I want you to understand something, because there are, in some of our religious groups, we talk about this, that Mary uh, was born sinless. She wasn't born sinless. Uh, she was a sinner just like everybody else. Uh, we, there's, you know, and I grew up in uh, a group that says that Mary, you know, talked about the Immaculate Conception. And most people think that they're talking about that's with Christ being born, but it wasn't. It's a doctrine that says that Mary was born without sin, but it wasn't. And we'll see why here, and I can prove it here in just a second. Mary was this, as she waited for God to fulfill his promise, uh, as he had said he would. She needed to deliver just like everybody else. And she was a godly woman, but she was also flawed, just like everybody else. Luke 1, 46 and 47 says this, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and that my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. She didn't say God, my King, or God, my Lord. She said God, my Savior, which means she's admitting she needs to be saved. So God, the Savior, would be her Savior also. The deliverer had to be born from a virgin. Uh, this would be God's doing, not ours, and not, uh, not uh, uh, Mary's, or Elizabeth's, or, or anybody else's, or Joseph's. This would be something done by God and God alone. Um, Mary and Elizabeth were godly women who both trusted in God, and God chose to use them as his vessels for working out uh, his will. God didn't ask their permission to do this. He didn't say, Mary, I got something for you. Tell me, tell me what you think. I says, are you willing to go through this? No, he didn't. He says, this is what's going to happen, you know. And uh, he was giving them a great privilege, but he also knew there was a, a responsibility that went with it. God didn't ask their permission. He just gave them the responsibility and privilege of being part of the fulfillment of his plan. And yet, today, we still remember them, don't we? Here we are, 2,000 years later, we still talk about them. How would you like it if your name, 2,000? How many people ever walked around 1,500 years ago were ever remembered? I'm not talking about people that were rich and wealthy and kings and stuff. I'm just talking about the average person. Name an average person who really made a big impact 1,500 years ago. You can't, but we can name a lot of them that uh, had an impact 2,000 years ago. So uh, Elizabeth could not bear the deliverer. In other words, she couldn't give birth to deliver. Why? She was not a virgin, and she was of a tribe of Levi. <clears throat> the virgin birth and the line of Judah were mandatory. So those are two things that had to happen. <clears throat> So uh, Mary was of the line of Judah as also, and so uh, because she was of the line of David, and uh, she was a virgin, so she could um, fulfill the requirements that God required. Now, Jesus would be both man and the Son of God. Uh, the Son of the Highest was equal to being the Son of God, and the Deliverer would also be the Son of David, a king of Israel. So he'd be referred to also as the Son of Man. Luke 1, 32 and 33 says he will be great and will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. So he's called the son of the highest, which means the son of God, 
and also be that David was his father. So how can you be both unless you're both, you are both? So he would be both God and man at the same time. Now, um, Jesus, the deliverer, could not and would not have a human father. The deliverer would have to become human to deal with the sin issue, all right? But he also had to remain God without sin. So how could this happen? Um, there are a lot of theories on this of, of people from different views on what happened. I'm not going to get into that now. That would be something for another time. But how, um, why it made a difference to be born of the woman and not of the man. Uh, that's just another subject that we'll talk about at another time. But just know that it had to happen because he said that back in Genesis 3.15. And now he's done it with Mary. Mary didn't understand how she could have a child either. So God explained it to her. Here it says, Mary, this is what's going to happen. So in Luke 1, 34 and 35, then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? In other words, I haven't had sexual relations with a man. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So you see, God was going to say the Spirit of God will will work this whole thing out. Now, we sit down, and people have made these ridiculous ridiculous arguments as, such as, well, did he have sexual relations with the woman? And I said, well, why would he have to? He created every atom in the universe. How hard would it be to have someone have a child? Uh, that's not a big deal at all. So... Um, the Spirit of God was going to work this whole thing out so she could have a child. The child would be the Son of God and the Son of Man at the same time. God knew what needed to happen, and he would never violate his character to make it happen through adultery. So you see, even that, if if it would have been a sexual relation thing, it would have been adultery, and God would have been violating his nature and character, which he wouldn't do. Um, the deliverer would be born from a virgin, and for God's own purposes, he chose Mary to be the vessel in which a deliverer would grow or be born and grow and, and mature. Um, <clears throat> not being born would mean, uh, I'm sorry, not being born would mean he would be born sinless. Not being born, I'm sorry, I wrote something here and I didn't get, get it written right. I don't know what I meant by that. Uh, the scriptures always talk about Adam being the cause for man's problems, not Eve. Um, that's something else to remember uh, there also I kind of kind of threw my off there just a little bit the uh, one thing we do know for sure is all the troubles of the world are accredited to Adam not to Eve so I don't know all the meaning behind all that but so evidently there that's one of the reasons why he couldn't be born uh, through a human father and it had to be just a human mother and so he did that, and then all those, uh, everything would be, was accredited to Adam. All the sins, all the pain, all the suffering, death, all of those things are um, ascribed to him. Uh, the, the scriptures always talk about Adam being the cause of man's problems, not Eve. But Jesus would be different. He had no human father. He didn't. He just never had a human father. Now, the angel reveals to Mary that her cousin, Elizabeth was pregnant. So he tells uh, her about that. In Luke 1, 36 and 37, it says this, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. 
for with God nothing will be impossible. So what um, God is telling her, he says, okay, Mary, I want to tell you about something. Your cousin uh, Elizabeth, she's going to have a child. She's six months pregnant right now. So um, just want you, I wanted to let you know about that. Now, little did they know that these cousins would become the um, the two central figures in the whole New Testament, in a sense, you know. And so it's kind of an interesting thing that's going on. Now, um, Elizabeth, let me say this with this, with both of their births and stuff like that, God didn't use, like, remember in, in uh, Star Wars where Anakin Skywalker's mother says she gave birth to him, she says, I didn't have a father, and there was metachlorians and stuff like that. This isn't anything like this. This is the Spirit of God working in this whole situation. Wasn't uh, They didn't call her uh, Jane the Virgin. It was Mary the Virgin, the mother. And so um, Mary was conceived as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit. And it wasn't a... There's so many programs out there that are trying to dilute that whole message and everything. But she was a virgin when she was born. He doesn't need to make up stories to fulfill his will. God doesn't anyway. Uh, he is God. So what was all? Uh, what was Mary's response to all of this? So here, here's Mary. She's coming along. She's hearing all this news. Whoa, I'm going to be pregnant, and and no man's going to be involved in it. Oh, and not only that, he's going to be the son of God. He's going to be the son of the highest, and he's also going to be the son of the, his kingdom is never going to end because he's going to take the throne of his father, David. So all of this is going on, and I'm sitting there thinking, wow, what would you be thinking? Your mind would be have to be exploding at this point, trying to figure all this out. But here's what uh, Mary's response to this whole situation, and she says it in Luke 138. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. She's talking about herself. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So what did Mary do? She says, you know, Lord, you have the right to do with me as you see fit. You have the right to exercise your will over my life. Do with me as you see fit. And that's what he did. And that's what she did. What a blessing. I mean, what a, what a, what a um, example of godliness and womanhood and everything. That is the that is true liberation right there. That is the truly liberated woman. She didn't have to worry about it. She had left it all in God's hands. So that was a real woman of God. She humbly accepted whatever the Lord had in store for her. And she knew what people would think, but she was willing to go through that for him. Uh, that's pretty interesting. So finally, finally, after all these lessons, after these 60 lessons, the deliverer is finally coming. He's getting ready to come. He is about to enter the scene that he started to describe 4,000 years earlier. Who did he not reveal this to? I want you to think about this. Who did he not reveal this message to? He didn't reveal it to the religious leaders. He didn't reveal it to the political leaders, rulers and everything. He did not reveal it to all of mankind. That's, he didn't do it. He didn't make this announcement to them. Who did he reveal it to first? an old priest and his wife, and a virgin who was to be married, who was uh, yet to be married. The best quote in this lesson, I think, is the one that Mary gave us in Luke 138. Let it be to me according to your word. Folks, I think, hope oh, that's where we're at, where we can come to that point where we say, Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Whatever you think is important, that's okay with me. And uh, do with me as you see fit. 
<clears throat> like I've told a lot of young folks over the years, here's the way to grow and mature in the Lord. Find out what's important to Him and make that important to you. Thank you again for this. Sorry for the little mix-up on that one passage there, but that's okay. Uh, we'll uh, I'll get that straightened out, so next time I teach that, it will be cleared up. But uh, I just want you to know that finally, finally, the Lord has come. Hallelujah. What, what a Savior. And the Deliverer is finally coming into this thing, and uh, I just can't, uh, I can't begin to even think about it. Now is the time to sing some of those old Christmas songs and think about it. It came upon a midnight clear. God rest you, merry gentlemen, from nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. Why? To save us all from Satan's power when we were going astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. So on. Thank you once again. You guys take care. We'll talk to you next week. Keep pressing on. I can't wait to reveal more and more about this person to deliver to you. Thank you. Good night.